Welcome to a brand new episode of Front End Happy Hour. If you've been enjoying the podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Leave us a review on iTunes. It helps others discover the podcast and we read all the reviews. We would love to hear your thoughts and feedback. This is episode 47 and we'll be talking about our experiences giving tech talks and public speaking. Let's go around the table and give brief introductions of today's panelists. Augustus, you want to start it off? Yeah, sure. Hi, my name is Augustus. I'm a front-end engineer at Evernote. Jem Young, senior software engineer at Netflix. Stacey London, front-end engineer at Atlassian. Mars Julian, senior software engineer at Netflix. I was waiting for something creative, Mars. I know. I was about to say senior-ish software engineer at Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a software engineering manager at Netflix. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the podcast, we will all take a drink. What did we decide today's keyword is? Conference. 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 So if we say the word conference at all in the rest of the podcast, we will all take a drink. To start off with, what is it like to give your first tech conference talk? Cheers. Cheers. I'm going to work that into every question. I purposely did that. It's terrifying. That's the word I was going to use. Not even a conference talk, but um, Cheers. even just a, <laughs> just a tech talk at, you know, in front of even 20 people, your first one in front of a, like a larger engineering organization is terrifying. I would have said nerve wracking. So yeah, I don't, I don't think it gets less scary. I think I still struggle with that. But I I feel like I'm less nervous in a larger audience than I am sometimes even with my own peers, I think is difficult. Doing run-throughs, I feel sometimes even more nerve-wracking. I don't know why. Probably because I feel like you're judging me. Is there a sweet spot of audience (laughs) size, I wonder? Because sometimes having a smaller audience of five to ten people can be just as nerve-wracking as it being hundreds of people, but maybe somewhere in the middle, it's... Yeah, I always feel like after 100, I don't notice a difference. I don't know. Jem, you just spoke in Brazil for Brazil JS. That was a huge audience. Like 2,000? Yes. Do you feel like it was any difference from speaking at like 1 or 200? Yeah. It was? It's very different. All right. So I'm just like underselling it. I think the most (laughs) I've done is like 500. So I think the bigger it is, the easier it is. Because you don't have to look at individual people anymore. I guess that's what I was trying to get at. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with Mars. It's much harder to talk to a smaller group and especially people you know. Yeah. Is much, much harder. They're judging you. They're going to give you feedback. You can't I don't know if it's the judgment. It's that <laughs> you, you respect them, so you want them to respect you back just mm. as much. So that's where I think some of the pressure comes from. That makes a lot of sense, yeah. actually. I like that better. Oh, that's a good Maybe it's like imposter syndrome bubbling up. A it's little like bit. Everybody thinks you're smart, but now you have to prove it in front of people that actually matter. Well, I think in, in addition to... Um, being actually intelligent and having good content for your talk is also there's the delivery aspect too. So there's, there's two things going on. Not only do you have to be technically astute, but you also need to be able to deliver and handle feedback. So there's like an additional layer on top of that, I think. What makes a good tech talk? Everyone has their own personal opinion about that. I think everyone brings a different perspective to like why they're attending a conference. Cheers. Cheers. (laughs) (laughs) It's like some, some people, you know, want to level up. Some people don't even know anything about the topic. So, I don't know. For me, the most interesting talks that I've gone to are the ones that are not something that I could have read a blog post about, or I could have done like some searching on on the internet and found like how to do something. It's more like here's a problem that we ran into at my current like a real world problem that we ran into using some some stack of technology, and here's how we solved it. Um, and some best practices around it. And here's some sample code that like shows how we did this thing. And it's not something that you could easily find, which I know that makes like 
doing a talk probably more difficult because you you self-doubt that the fact that you the thing that you solved is actually like unique um but i think that's more true than not true so um that's the kind of talk that i really enjoy that i can come away from with like practical from the trenches kind of stuff well i think everyone's going to deal with a unique problem right even if it's similar it's unique because it was done a little bit differently for your own use cases at your own company or your own work so yeah i, I that makes a lot of sense bad example or uh, example of a, what makes a bad tech talk is people that are too engrossed in their own problem and they don't speak to the audience like they don't know their audience and that's one of the more common ones i see people who just start talking they were like here's some problems uh, i'm stacy i'm gonna talk about some obscure bug that i solved that only has relevance to me and my team and everybody's like okay cool like what What's the point of this? Why am I here? I see that like that's very common amongst tech talk. Is it there that they're just not explaining enough what the problem was or it's just irrelevant? The problem just isn't relevant to anyone and they're never going to deal with it. Or what do you think it is more just the delivery or just bad topic in general? I, I think it's hubris. Just like you think what you're talking about is so interesting that everybody else will find it interesting because you spent six months on it. Because that as engineers, that's what we do. We have this like giant problem in our head and then we try to explain it out to people and it just it makes no sense because we've been thinking about it for months and months and months and then you try to give a talk on that it just doesn't translate because you can't pull back and be like okay why is this important can i break it down the concrete steps rather than here's here's <laughs> it's so important because i spent so much time thinking about it and obviously you must think that too there's definitely a really big skill in taking like a very central like top like very um how how to put like a top, like a problem with a lot of jargon and stuff, breaking that down and making it like kind of comprehensible to, I guess, layman terms, if you will. But um, like I, I really respect those kind of tech talks because there are some talks that are just probably normally would be over your head, but then like people do a really good job of breaking it down and making it very like understandable and relatable, as you like brought up. To be honest, I don't really like tech talks that go really, really depth in the weeds on it. Mm -hmm. on, I don't know what it is. I feel it's not that I, they've lost me, but maybe they have because I feel like when I'm at a conference, cheers, cheers. <laughs> I'm listening to multiple talks and I like something that's inspirational and tells me a great story and I can follow along really easily. And it's not something that I have to pay attention to like 110%. Because those ones are exhausting. I don't know what it is. I don't know what the right balance is. I also don't want to talk that doesn't go into some tech, but I also want something inspirational. And maybe it is just a really good story about some problem that is being solved and how someone solved it. Staying a little higher level is usually better in my mind, but I've, I've heard the opposite from others. No, I totally agree. I, I personally feel... This, I, I don't like it when people like code all the time, unless it's like thought out. I've I've seen a lot of bad like just like typing and you don't want to see people code on stage well, yeah. <laughs> unless it's like well thought like you know you know what I mean like it's yeah it's although it is exciting when they debug their own code and they figure it out but I actually like when the audience debugs the code like oh you have a typo yeah. <laughs> right I, yeah I think there's a happy medium between and like explaining what you're trying to talk about in enough detail that people will understand it and respect what you're working on but also you need to just pique their interest sometimes too and and when it goes into the more technical details it's kind of just a matter of okay if you're really interested in this like here's the rest of the code and we can talk about it later yeah. but I think that 40 minutes or even 20 minutes is not a good medium for like oh here's how I re-architect it a whole something something you don't have time to go into that 
No, there's not enough because really, if you think about the last time you re-architected something, it didn't take 20 to 40 minutes to figure no, out. No, I would say, how do you well, condense eight months of work into a 40-minute talk and, and try to hit all of the points that you really want to? So That's that's advice I wish I would have had when I first started speaking. I don't see that on all the... These are popular tips for helping you to be a better public speaker. I feel number one should be know your audience. Like, know who you're talking to. That way, you know if you can go high level, low level. Yeah. The most difficult talk I've given to date, I think, was at South by Southwest because that was an audience full of people that they see a Netflix name. They're like, oh, I love Netflix. I'm going to go. Not engineers whatsoever. And there's people that are like, oh, Netflix, Jem Young. I know him. Let's get like he's going to talk about something super detailed and trying to hit all those points for everybody is yeah. it's very hard, if not impossible. But it's it's important to know like who who do you care takes away something from your talk at the end of the day? Is it people that are fresh in the industry, never use React or JavaScript or anything? Or is it people that super technical that you're gonna lose everybody else, but you'll get three people in the audience? I think hitting that is one of the biggest challenges as a speaker that people don't think about when they start writing a talk. Do you think it's useful to set up front? This talk is for someone who doesn't know React or this is someone who's really strong at React and we're going to go really in depth. Yeah, I think so. Put that in your like write-up or your little blurb that whatever it gets yeah. published for like the agenda for the conference. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> that someone can scan it and read and be like, oh, this one's for advanced or whatever they can self-select that's interesting too to talk about knowing your audience because it's a way to like breathe new life into a conference talk (laughs) 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 it's a it's a way to to take a lot of effort that you've put into to one talk and be able to i'm not travel around with it but kind of repackage it and have it be relevant to different audiences is content the content may always be the same but the way you deliver it or how high level you go with um, the concepts is going to probably change a little bit from you know event to event or from one meetup to another and i think that's just it's a really good way for some of the content to live a really long time. Um, lessons you learn from something you worked on two years ago may still be relevant today. It's just a way of, of packaging it for your audience. Important to remember for everybody who's given a talk or three or something, once you get some experience under your belt, there's always going to be someone that's like, I knew all this stuff already. I didn't learn anything new. You just have to ignore those people, unfortunately, because you, you just can't get everybody. No. I try to get like 80% of the audience at best. And if you have more detailed questions, come ask me later. But... Hey, you know, I at least make it entertaining. But yeah, trying to make it too technical to impress people is a mistake I think I made in the beginning. Just like way, way, way too deep. And then no one cared like halfway through my talk. I think my goal is for, and this isn't for everyone in the audience, but my goal is for maybe it is 80% of everyone to just take away something. And it might be very, very small that it wasn't that important because maybe... Maybe it is a like generalist talk, but they're, they pick something out of there that they can walk away with. And it could just be very, very small. But to me, that's a win is just like getting someone to think a little bit differently or take away one little small piece with it. Yeah, actually, that was one of the best pieces. Well, I don't know if I would call it advice necessarily that I got from, um, not, not Ryan, but it's really along the same lines of like people walk away from talks or conferences. <laughs> Let's <laughs> <laughs> <a> subtle laugh. <laughs> yeah. Drink. Um, normally, only walk away from from stuff like that with maybe one or two points. And I think someone said that explicitly to me. But in my experience, too, you walk away from from a meetup and you're like, oh, I learned one or two things, not everything. And that kind of took the pressure off 
for me as a speaker saying, you know, this doesn't need to be the most amazing talk ever. Not every single slide needs to be tr- like tweet worthy or someone's going to learn something new every word I say. It takes the pressure off a little bit and you can kind of play with your talk a bit more in, in that way because you can be like, well, people are going to take away from it what they're going to take away from it. And someone's going to take away something from the beginning and someone's going to take away something from the end. And it's it's nice to think about it that way in my mind just because it's a little less stressful. Still important, but stressful. So that being said, to everybody in the room, what's the most important part of a talk, do you think? You think it's the intro? You think it's the ending? You think it's like the main content? I think it's the intro. I really do. If you lose people right at the start, no one's listening to the rest. If you don't excite them at all, yeah, you've lost everyone in the room. They're all on Twitter. They're all on their laptop. It doesn't really matter <laughs> yeah. anymore. A funny intro, huge. Yeah. Like some sort of humor or personal story, some sort of story, something that's like, not super dry tech stuff like that. But it also has to relate. Yeah, it has to relate. It's not some random stuff. I actually, and it's kind of, it's harder, but I think the delivery is the most important because I think you need to be excited and passionate about what you're talking about that people want to listen to you throughout the talk. Because the intro is one thing, but five minutes in, they can be like, okay, now I'm done. And then you go back to their laptops. But if you have... um kind of like sprinkles of humor with that throughout it or self-deprecation or something that just, you know, grabs people's attention as, as it starts to kind of like wander away. I think that's pretty important. And delivery, the tonality and the excitement and the passion that comes through. I agree. Counter Counterpoint, I think humor can be, it's hard to actually do humor well because everybody's sense of humor is a little different. Saying like I, all my talks, I try to make humorous. So like I have no other delivery method, <laughs> but I should, but I would... I would love the ability to give like an Obama style like talk where it's just like impressive. It's not funny, but it's just impressive. And I think doing that is really, really difficult. Humor is, I think, the easiest way. But giving just like a monotone or just even just a solid delivery with no humor is really, really hard to do. No, I think, yeah, it's the delivery. And in tech talks, a lot of the time you see it come through as humor or GIFs because that's just the community that we live and work in. So, you know, Jem's got a masterful use of the dog GIFs. I don't use them in GIFs. No? I'm like very anti-GIF. Yeah. No, I thought I'd I seen a he, bunch. He tries to avoid it. Never mind yeah. then. I remember you were talking about Fast and Furious and you're like, I like dogs. I like that. <laughs> that was awesome. But I guess the second, the delivery thing, I think like showing personality, you know, it's, I think it can be, I don't know, it's, it's really cool to see different speakers talk because they all have different approaches and different like ways of doing like how they deliver their own tech talks. So I feel like that's what really stands out. I, I don't know. I remember watching your talk and the Fast and Furious thing like really stuck out. So it, it like really sticks out. <laughs> it was a good way like to just hook everyone right. in. So now you're known for the Fast and the Furious. Darn it. <laughs> <laughs> what, was that the service workers talk? It's probably been all of my talks. So. I saw in the Transpilers talk. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. Been in a couple talks then. Okay, it's yeah, been yeah. in a lot of talks. I should mix that up. So I think Need for Speed is actually better than Fast and Furious. <laughs> I know. I changed it up. I don't make a strong argument. You can have that debate with yourself in your next time. I will. I will. (laughs) How do you each go about choosing a topic? I think this is really, it can be really difficult actually, is really understanding what what do you actually want to talk about if you are submitting to uh, a proposal. So I've only done two talks. um, So I don't have like a ton of experience um, at like official conferences. (laughs) (laughs) Look at what you did there. (laughs) You tried to avoid it. I tried. It. <laughs> Just nothing. I'm not even I, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Setting my wine. And so for me, I wanted to submit something that I wish I, I wish that I could have found what I was going to present somewhere. And I, I 
didn't. And I'm so that's what that's how I thought about it. Like this topic is something that I think other people run into this problem. I see people submitting questions on Stack Overflow. I see people talking about it in Slack groups. There isn't a good answer for it. I'll present I'll present my answer or like how we got to an answer as a team and. That's kind of how I thought about it. For context, I think I'm the only one that hasn't given. A f- I've given, given. I've seen you give talks. So. I, I've, I've given internal talks. So yeah. That's my. That's experience. still a tech talk. Yeah, that's true. But I guess my take on what topic you should choose is something you are really like passionate about and something you feel pretty confident in giving a talk about. The thing I think that scares me most is Q and A. Is when people like start asking questions. That's when it's kind of like, oh wow, you. You know so much, so right. let me give you questions. And that's—I don't know—I I, don't—I I don't know if I could just give any tech talk. That's just my idea. Yeah. On the Q and A subject, how do you each feel about that? I, for one, don't really like the Q and A. If I have to have it, that's requirement. Yeah, sure, I'll go up on stage and answer questions. But typically, I've found they've not been the greatest questions. It's sometimes I've often seen this many, many times where someone will ask a question that they want you to pretty much solve their problem for their company stack. And it takes a lot to really understand what they're asking. And so that's not really fair to the rest of the audience. I'm, I'm happy to go talk offline, like on the side of the you know room afterwards or whatever it is over drinks. But it's really tough to solve that on stage with a large group of people. I agree. I, I don't like live q a i don't if there's fundamental like i know the counter argument is someone has a question that is relevant to the whole audience yeah but i think if there's that question then i didn't give a good talk like that should have been solved during the feedback phase when someone's like well what about this i'm like ah good point but yeah if there's like something uh that they're dying to ask me like ask me offline or just when i get done speaking but generally there's always the well actually person yes well actually blah 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 (laughs) or some obscure thing and it just it's to the benefit of no one and to the detriment of those people are the worst. They are the worst. Blah blah blah. Do you think about the cargo cult of blah 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 blah? <laughs> and you're just like, I don't what are you even saying? No, I think, yeah, the well actually person always I think there's like different types of well actually, but the one that really gets to me is a person who's trying to outsmart you in front of the whole audience yeah. at the very mm-hmm. end of your talk. It's just to me, it's you know you know, well actually, would you like to come up here and talk about that topic? Because you're more than welcome to. Um and it's just it, it, I'd love to see that. Oh, if someone were to ask that, yeah, I'll, like, oh, that'll be yeah, my response next, next time. Next talk. My next talk. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, I'd like to see like grabbing the podium and just flipping it <laughs> it's your turn yeah no and it's just it's meant to embarrass you and for for whatever reason it's, it's just very very frustrating and i think it's also really uh it's a deterrent for new t- for new speakers it's a complete oh, yeah. deterrent and it's just not very welcoming and accepting and it, it can be very very stressful but I, actually i'm kind of curious when you guys have submitted talks to confs when you guys submitted talks is there a required template like do they require q a or is this is it all up to you to decide no some typically they'll set that ahead of time as saying that they're and you may not and i shouldn't even say ahead of time it may just be the way the event is run that that's being asked of you yeah because i guess like it would be nice if they, I guess they did it. If conference, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good keyword. Oh, I like a right like keyword. event as opposed to saying the actual keyword. I know. I had to do that too earlier. But should they discourage it? Uh I don't know. That's a good question. I I mean, I'm not a fan. 
Like I, I'm starting to about. be not a fan. It really does seem overly unnecessary. Yeah. And I, I can't really recall like when I've been to a Q and A was like, wow, man, I really wish like, that guy asked that question. You know, I can't. Yeah, I can't think of someone asking a question yeah. that I was like, worth it. That yeah, was worth that, right. that. Thank I you for interrupting the yeah, entire that I room. couldn't go up and ask them myself <laughs> right. either. Like, I can see why they do do it, though, why <laughs> the organizers would do something like that, because some um, attendees may expect to have some sort of a Q&A, and it is part, it's kind of a common format. Um, but I, it's also, it can be unwelcoming to speakers, but it also is welcoming to attendees at the same time. So trying to find, maybe it's just a, a way of finding a Q&A format that works a bit better for both. And actually, I really like what they did at Nordic.js, which was, there was no Q&A after any of the talks, but there was like a speaker's corner that you could go to afterwards. No, and people there was, was a giant blow up igloo. <laughs> Ooh. That's what that was. So it was That's a amazing. speaker's corner. <laughs> When you get into the speaker's corner, it gets a little weird, though, because they put the speakers in the igloo with the the people asking questions. Like, I don't want to go in there with some stranger. (laughs) Anyways, um, so I like, you know, take the igloo out of the equation. I think that that was an interesting format. Igloos are a must. Yeah, it was just, you know, after every couple of talks, speakers are kind of not expected, but, you know, they're they're in going to be over in this corner you can go talk to them i like that yeah like office hours that's a great way yeah to do i think it. so and also you know throughout the after parties and and the all of the events after the talks too people would come up and be like oh i recognize oh you gave that talk oh let's i have questions for you and yeah. and that's kind of a you know a more informal setting it doesn't really put you on the spot so i really liked that but the, the q a was there it was just in a slightly different format so on, on at large multi-track tech events I don't mind Q&A. If it's like very small and very focused on one particular topic, that's okay. I think single track conferences like Q&A is Maybe like that's you're wasting what it is. time because yeah. you could have fit another speaker in all that time. You That's a good point. Yeah, because usually when it's multi-track, people are getting up to go to like another yeah. talk or something like that. So yeah, that's a good point. So back to my original question, how do you think about a topic that you want to talk about? What are some ways that you... you how do you plan that? I think it actually is really collaborative, or at least in the way I've experienced it. Um, talks always look like it's one person delivering something, but there's a huge support system behind getting that talk from ideation to actual, you know, speaking. Um, and, and me having an idea, or it's, it's mostly about finding something I'm really passionate about and then talking to someone about it, and, you know, generally over drinks, a little bit inspired, a little bit tipsy, you know, that's one of the... the connections in the brain start working and then over time you realize that there actually is some some substance there that other people will appreciate but it does kind of take some teasing out by other people because they also offer a different perspective than the way you see it because you're like oh it's not important i think about it every day and this is kind of what stacy said earlier about how do you take a project that you're always in the weeds in and, and figure out that it's interesting to someone else and i think other people help to kind of tease out what's interesting about it because like oh i want to hear more about that and and from there it takes a while, I think, from, oh, this is something I'm passionate about to, oh, this would be a good talk. It could be months. It, it could be half a year. I don't, I don't know how other people have experienced it, but that's how I, that's how I have. I think that's interesting because you have such an awesome like, team to support you in that stuff and, and people on your team that have spoke. So you have like that kind of circle around you. But I know like I didn't have – like in some of the places that I've worked, like doing a conference talk was like – I'm sorry. Cheers. 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 That talk was, uh, I don't know. It wasn't. It wasn't like exciting for your your coworkers. No one was there to help you, or they weren't like, like cool. That's awesome. Like, but not like actively wanting to help you make your talk better. That kind of thing. So I don't think that's 
that's tough. Like if you don't have that support network of people you can bounce ideas off of. So you have to, I don't know, find other networks to do that. Maybe some other community or way to way to do that. Maybe your local meetup. Yeah. Um, We're here for you, Stacey. Thanks, man. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's, yeah, if you can find someone to bounce ideas off of, even it, we always talk about Twitter is a great way to just like reach out to people, ask them, hey, does this sound like something that's interesting? That can be really helpful too. I've had people just message me on Twitter and say, hey, I've got an idea and I want to flesh it out. And then we just video chat for an hour or something. And like usually by the end, they have something a bit more concrete. But yeah, I I think as a tech community, it's always good to just spread your idea and see what people think. Yeah. Most people are pretty amenable to like listening. I always like how you've chosen topics, Jem. I just pick things that either I don't know and I'm interested in or I really, really know. And I'm just like, this is the thing. This is so passionate. I'm so passionate about it and I want to spread that out. But it's a lot of ways. Don't tell the conference organizers. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> it's a lot of times I don't actually know that much about the topic, but I'm really interested in learning. And a tech talk is probably the best way to learn something because you have to. You can't be during the Q&A later in the hallway. Someone will ask you a question and... Like, blah, blah, blah. You can't be like, oh, I don't know. I just read a script. I have no idea. Yeah, I just read a, a blog post. And, a, you know, you have to know it inside and out. And it's a good reason. It's a good excuse to learn something, like a deep dive on it. Yeah, I always thought that was like interesting that. that you did that. Typically, how I've done is I find something I'm really passionate about. Um, maybe I'm not the expert in it. and I, That's okay. I'm going to give you my perspective on the topic. But it's something I'm excited to talk about. But I never even thought about it as something, until you've said that, is pick something that you're excited about learning. So I'm excited about it that I want to learn it. So I'm obviously probably going to be excited to talk about it and it'll be a forcing factor to go learn it. I like that a lot, actually. Caveat to that, I would not recommend doing that if it's your first talk or maybe even your second. That's something that you want to... I'm a good speaker. I know how to deliver a topic and then I can like learn something. But if it's your first time and you haven't given a talk and you're learning about a new topic as well, I think it's a bit much. Like Pick something you know. And then like from there, later on, you could do... You know, kind of the ad lib topic style. It sounds like the way we've been talking, it's not the easiest thing to do. Talking at a conference. <laughs> cheers. <laughs> oh, what a keyword. But it's not typically easy. As you've been doing it, does it get any easier? I, I feel like it does as you practice. Um, I, I took some public speaking classes uh, for my final in college. We had to speak in the front of the middle of the school during passing period where everyone walks by and like, they, they can, can stop by and listen. And it's just like... Sounds like a nightmare. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's that does terrible, sound awful. Terrible. But I feel like it does get easier. But also like, be constructive upon yourself too. Like what really helps is if you watch a video of yourself. It's super uncomfortable. Have oh. you guys done that? Oh, yes. Oh. No, so I can't. I can't. I just like cringe. I'm just like, I just want to vomit. And I can't do it. <laughs> you know what's the worst is listening to your voice on a podcast. It's, <laughs> it's no good. Oh, you must do that all the time. It's terrible. <laughs> you leave these podcast people. <laughs> people who, people who podcast. I have to say, very meta all of a sudden. We are doing a form of public speaking now. It's more informal, but we are... No one's a, staring at us, though. That is you are staring at me. There's no Q&A either. <laughs> I'll tell you, when I first started like being on this show, I like my hands would get super sweaty before the show would start. I get like really nervous. I'm like, I really have to be super careful about what I say and like be really thoughtful, and and I wouldn't say things as much. And like, it does get easier. So it does get easier. That's also because we drink. It does help. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's something to be said for maybe having a shot before you give a talk. <laughs> <laughs> 
Is that a technique? Virus? No, it's not. It's almost like, oh, I wish I had, but um, yeah. No, I think I think it. I don't know if it gets easier in a sense in that it gets easier to manage. I would say, at least for me, the nerves never go away. They're always there, but you're either you're able to handle them in one way or another. And so, like in Nordic JS, I literally went out on stage and I'm like, hey guys, I'm really nervous. Let's do this. It's just like you're, you know, up front with the audience and you tell them and everyone has different ways of managing that type of stress. But, you know, the more you do it, the easier it is to manage the nerves and the stress and the, sh- the shaking, the sweating. Yeah, I think like the, the 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 process gets easier. So you understand more about like what it means to like attend the event, to be in the speaker's circle, to um like go up on stage to have a mic put on you. All those things are like the first time is like t- sort of terrifying. But then after that, the process becomes more like is easier because it's, you know what to expect. And maybe every event is like slightly different how they do things, but at least like that's not the stressful part anymore. The stressful part is then just giving the actual talk. That's or- fair because all that setting up can be nerve wracking. Yeah. Like, oh, what if I screw something up on that or don't know what I'm, where I'm supposed to go, who I'm supposed to meet with. Yeah, I like that. What if they don't have a dongle for me that that works? Bring dongles. Like, that's (laughs) actually good advice. Yeah, and other good advice, too, is, you know, just like the technical difficulties of, I've seen on Twitter, I think maybe it was one, one, someone here in this group started this conversation. Um, and it was about, you know, make sure you have everything downloaded offline. Yeah. Um, that's a pretty big deal or have a hard copy. Like, if you really are reliant on your notes, have a hard copy because there's no guarantee that you'll be able to, you know, unmirror your displays or you have no idea what's going to happen to your second display and, um that was that was pretty interesting to me it's just you know being able to make sure you'll have your content you don't have to freak out about yeah, that yeah don't rely on conference wi-fi <laughs> cheers. <laughs> cheers there's lots of great advice i mars that was actually a tweet that i sent out and i was oh, impressed yeah. with a lot of responses and all really good good advice i think one that i've always said to people I've always said practice your talk so much that you just are sick of your talk. I think that is so powerful. It's something that I've done many, many times where I'm just like, I don't even find this interesting anymore. But the thing is, I know it that well. It's like I can just give it my sleep. And and I think that to me is when I know that I'm, I'm comfortable going up there. And it also, I find my delivery is a lot more natural. It's not scripted. Even though I know what I'm wanting to say, it just comes off a lot more natural. Piggyback on that, I'd say... Don't memorize your talk. I, I I know that goes against counter advice, but I, I just don't think people should memorize their talk. I think it makes really you yeah. really stiff. And if something happens, someone raises their question or the your computer goes to sleep or something like that, you're just thrown off. And yeah. then trying to get back is just – I've seen so many people fumble and stumble doing that. If you just have notes but, like, you know, use them for guidance during practice and then later just let it flow naturally, you know what you're talking about. You know what the slide says. If not – like change your slide to help you guide your talk. But yeah, don't memorize your talk. I, I I think it's it's the wrong way to go. Yeah, I don't think I memorize it, but I think of it as like I know what I'm talking about on each slide. And so I think that's kind of what you're getting at is I use those slides as the hint. And I know what I want to say. It's not word for word memorized. It's more I want to cover these points. And this is and then I just say it as I would normally speak. And I think that's more natural. Yeah, because if you if you have a script, then you're just thinking of the next line, the next line, rather than the impact of the line you're saying at the moment. Yeah, I think that's pretty interesting. Actually, I think that kind of rolls into something I wanted, like a piece of advice I had for um, other speakers is that just part of having a script sometimes is not being comfortable with the silence. 
um, or with being up there and like, you know, a meaningful pause or losing yourself or anything. And, and one of the best pieces of advice I got is, you know, two seconds to you on stage probably feels a lot longer than anyone in the audience. And having pauses that are well-timed can actually be really impactful for your talk. But also don't be scared of a pause. Just be like, okay, kind of lost myself for a second there. And then, and then look back at it and take the time to compose yourself again and continue. It's, it's not going to, you know, break the audience's respect for you. Just that one, two seconds or, or however long it is. The pauses are really hard. Like they are. No, they're, they're really long. scary, but I think it's something to be, that's really important to be comfortable with. Yeah. And know that yeah. it feels so, so long for you, but it's really actually no one even noticed that you pause. Right. Actually, pauses can be super powerful in public speaking. It can create like, I want to hear what's coming up next. Like yeah. I learned that in my public speaking class. A great pause. That's that's pretty advanced though. I think mastering yes. a pause is very very difficult. Just like you said, two seconds to you feels like it feels like forever, but it's yeah. only two seconds and it's nothing to the audience. But to you, you're just like. Well, I think mastering uh, is one <laughs> thing, but I think you know, starting out, it's important to start getting comfortable with them. It's going to take a while, obviously, but I think it helps to relieve the stress of oh no, I'm lost. Just mm-hmm. be okay with it. It'll be you know, and 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 move on. Um, and you don't even have to say anything to the audience. Like you don't have to apologize or say hey, I'm lost or anything like that. Just pause because they have no idea what you're trying to deliver, right? They don't know, or if you screw up what you were supposed to say, they don't really know. They've never seen it before, which I think is kind of smart in that way too. I think that's why humor is probably where most people start because if you put something funny, it's a natural pause for people to laugh. You laugh too, look around. It's a good way of getting that pause in there. Yeah. What if they don't laugh back? (laughs) Then it's like it's twice as bad. <laughs> I, know. I have been there. Yeah, I'm working at it. I have oh, some humor yeah. in my next talk, and I'm worried that I'm the only one who's going to find it funny. So <laughs> my strategy is to have a very obnoxious fake laugh, and then people usually laugh at that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's They're advice that I would laughing. give to everyone. <laughs> like, with this guy's laughing at his own jokes. What a loser. <laughs> or you pay someone in the audience to just laugh really loud. <laughs> or actually, if you have coworkers in the audience, they'll be supportive enough to give you some sort of like Play a little bit of a chuckle laugh track Play your own laugh track it's worked for tv shows sitcoms so sitcoms, yeah that's a great point mars we didn't even talk about um have an anchor in the audience someone you know someone that's gonna like nod along no matter what you're saying and like there for you it's it's like hard to overstate the importance of that like how how powerful that is especially when you get lost or they're not laughing at your joke just someone there a lot of times ryan and it's looking at him it's like yeah yeah, just like keep going. It anchors you to that one spot too, where if you feel nervous or something, you look at that person. They've kind of got you here. I've got your back here. I'm sitting here. Yeah, that's a good point. I like my, that. My first talk, uh, React Rally. Yeah, I totally like just lost it in the middle. I just totally lost, just freaked out. Like it, it finally hit me like 15 minutes in, and I saw someone I knew in the audience. They're just like, "Go ahead," and then like it just brought me back like instantly. But other than that, I'm just like panic, and I don't have notes. So it just yeah, have an anchor. Find someone you know that like likes you. <laughs> <laughs> that goes back to my original point, too, of just before that, that I said that the audience doesn't know that you're screwing up. I had no idea. That was the first time I'd met you was at React Rally, saw you speak. To this day, I did not know that you screwed up. I was like, holy shit, this is an amazing talk. So that's the thing is like, I had no idea that you screwed up. I was sitting in the audience and saw that talk. So there you, you go. I thought it was dramatic pause. Probably. I don't, wow, this, yeah, this guy's so great at positive. Just, he's leaving me hanging. I want to know more. Has this happened to any of you where, like, when I, if I'm extremely nervous, 
I almost, it's almost like a blackout. Like, I don't even, I'll get done with being, speaking, and I'm like, I have no idea what I just said. Or <laughs> hopefully it was, it was right. Like, I, hopefully it was right. And, and like, that really freaks me out. Because, like, that's, like, the thing that wa- prevents you from wanting to do it again. Because you're like, Ugh. like, how do I, how do I not have that situation happen? And I've seen other people post about it, too. Like, yeah, I just, I totally don't even remember what I said when I was up on stage. I think that pretty much always happens to me. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's good or bad because like you're you're I think it's bad because you're not able to self-assess while you're doing the talk to say to be aware and like adjust but then maybe I was and then I just forgot about it afterwards I don't know like I know the feeling I know exactly the feeling that you're describing but yeah I don't know if it it hasn't hurt me I don't well maybe it has maybe I was terrible <laughs> but I'm unaware that is good <laughs> no I've, I've actually had that happen a lot like I just completely lose my train of thought I don't even yeah I don't know what I said and I, the worst part is I don't know what I was gonna say next and so actually when starting off like in our public speaking classes they they actually encourage us to use flashcards and if you like use your flashcards like really smoothly like people don't even really notice it right they, like they focus on you talking not really what your like hands are doing or whatever so if maybe that helps, but yeah, practicing helps so much with that. I, I too do the blackout thing where it's, I look at it more, it's kind of like a uh, riding a bike. Like you're riding a bike, you have some goal in mind where you're trying to get to. You're not at the end of the th- at the end of the bike ride, you're not thinking of like every pedal stroke you took or that person or that hill you climb, unless it's like a really big hill, but <laughs> you it's like it around people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but all you know is you got to where you're trying to get and you probably got there as best you can. And that's the way I look at talks is like, you don't think about every step. Like you couldn't possibly, like when we walk out the door, we're not going to think about that. We just think about where do we end up and hopefully we did it well. That's that's just rehearsing, like a lot of rehearsing. One thing that I think is really important too is this is kind of goes along while you're prepping for the talk, but think about what the audience is going to take away. Like I think we briefly touched on that is what do you want the audience to take away? And then at the end of your talk, summarize it. What what do they want? What do you want them to take away that you just talked about that entire, you know, 20 minutes and then you've got like two minutes to close? Just summarize it. And I think that can be really, really important is just bringing everyone back. These are the key takeaways. And I I find that some people just end abruptly. And then I'm like, wait, are we done? And so I think having a good summary is really important. We we think about getting all the content and the intro. What about the ending? Don't just throw up a like, thank you. Totally did that earlier today in my practice (laughs) talk. I'm not picking on you, Mars. I know you're not, but it's very relevant. (laughs) Ryan, you've said it before, but like more direct. It was more like I just finished rehearsing a talk with you and it's just, why should should anybody care? Like, why should I care? And like, what am I supposed to learn from this? And I'm like, yeah, I gave a whole 30 minute talk. And if he doesn't know what I'm trying to, what the whole point is, then like, what am I doing? And it's like hard to hear sometimes, especially if someone like gives a whole talk and it's really good. But it's important. Like, if you don't know, then someone that doesn't know you at all or know anything about you, like, they're not going to care. You have the great content, but it's just making it really easy for someone to interpret. Yeah. What is the takeaway here? And it makes, like, crafting your talk so much easier once you figure out, like, these are the points that I want someone to take away. So you can just reference back always to those. And it just, it makes it all flow so much better. Yeah, I think that's hard to um, remember sometimes because to you, the talk is already interesting. You know, <laughs> you already enjoy it. You already are talking about something that you think is really fun. Um, and and again, I think that's where having a good support system, really someone that you can bounce ideas off of is really important because they need to be able to tell you, well, yeah, that was interesting. 
But what am I supposed to take away from this? What am I supposed to take home? I know you find it interesting, but how are you going to make it relate? And that also, I think, ties back to the whole know your audience thing and and having that good support system kind of prepares you for a larger audience. Just exposing yourself to one more perspective on your talk will get you ready to hundreds of perspectives in the audience. And find someone that will give you honest feedback, mm-hmm. not, you did well. If I like, rehearse before my mom, every one of my talks, first time through, would be, be amazing. Like, amazing. Yeah, but that's <laughs> Find that person who is going to pick at it and, and totally give it to them. But yeah. also, yeah. as a as like a counter, or as an addition to that, too, like, be open to feedback. I, I mean, yeah. you can go into that, and someone can give you great feedback. You're like, eh, no, I don't like that. And you know, you, Do you know what I mean? And I think it's really important to go into a talk or into a practice session knowing that, you know, things are going to have to change. It's always going to evolve. And the talk, just because the slides are done now, doesn't mean that those are the slides you're going to present in two days. <laughs> two days. <laughs> 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 So just saying, I mean, be prepared for change. Be expect it. Um, you know, it's always going to change. <laughs> if you have longer than two days, or like four days, but you could, you, know. <laughs> you could it, maybe a good piece of advice would be to present it in smaller venues or small. Um, so not just like getting feedback, but actually do it at like maybe a, a smaller small, meetup, a small or, meetup yeah. first, and then you know eventually work up to like, oh, I'm going to submit this to. A conference. <laughs> I think that not only helps you in terms of fleshing out the talk and making sure it's ready for a larger audience, but also um, sometimes larger organizers of larger events will um, kind of look at that as a good sign. As you, You've done this before. Yeah. This isn't fresh. Um, and, and experience to larger events um, and meetups is, is important. So you need to find a way to work up to that, For I think, for multiple reasons. All right. So before we end the episode, each episode, we like to share pics of things that we've found interesting and would like to share with our listeners. Let's go around the table and share our pics. Augustus, what do you have? Oh, cool. Yeah, I have two pics. Uh, one is a site called seashells.io, which apparently you can pipe like terminal output and it comes out. It like generates a link. So you literally like do like, I don't know, build on your terminal and like it'll spit out a bunch of tests or whatever you can like pipe it to this site and then it'll generate like a unique url and then it like makes a public url for anyone to see so like i was like doing tests and then i could just like show it to another dev or something so Interesting. I thought it was really cool. and so really cool. it just makes your environment public yeah i guess so be careful so they delete the links every 24 hours okay but yeah i don't know that's still pretty cool that's pretty cool your environment or just the output just the output. Oh, okay. Output. Okay, so none yeah, of the yeah. variables. But, yeah, it's pretty cool. So, um, the second one is this uh, animation that got really popular on Reddit. It's called The Working Man. This guy just made this animation, and I thought it was really, really well done. And you could feel like what he was feeling, like as an like an artist, you know, about what it feels like to be working like the job, intense job. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, what do you have? Uh, I have two picks. The first one is uh, the new Firefox coming out. Firefox with the quantum engine. Mars, did I steal your pick? You're making a... No, no, no. Okay, no. just making sure. Um, yeah, I always support Mozilla. I believe in the open web and not just... Chrome is awesome, but like it's important to have diversity in our browsers just so we you know cover all our bases, don't end up in Internet Explorer. And Firefox has made a multi-process uh, browser that's much faster than the original I use, I think I use the beta at home, and it's Thank way, you. way better so, than it used to be. Yeah. It's so, so fast. fast. It's really, really fast. And it's it's cool to see Mozilla just making strides like that. 
Uh, my second pick is a movie called The Room. This one's a little bit more uh, San Francisco-centric, but there's a terrible, terrible movie called one of the worst movies of all time called The Room. It was shot partially in San Francisco, partially Los Angeles. But it's so bad that they do midnight screenings around the world, so it's not just San Francisco. But I went to a midnight screening, and it is one of the best things I've ever done in San Francisco, by far. And they have them in, I think, a lot of major cities. But it's just so bad. So my advice is watch it at home (laughs) with your friends. You'll be like, yeah, this is a bad movie. Watch it in a theater with people who just know how to nitpick everything, and it's just so much funnier. It just I was laughing for two hours. Yeah, I can see that. It's like as a group just picking at it. So the whole audience does or everybody does. That's amazing. Like there's uh I don't want to get too much into it, but in part of it, they just didn't plan the props properly. So in the background there's a picture of like kitchen utensils in the house because they just didn't like that empty picture frame. Someone's like, just fill these with something. So it's kitchen utensils. So Every time you see a picture of the like the background, everybody throws spoons at the screen. It's just everybody just grabs plastic spoons and just throws them. It's <laughs> that's like one small example of like. Do they give those to you as you walk in? Like here are the spoons for throwing later. Who brings plastic spoons into a movie? You bring your own <laughs> you spoons. Your own that's spoon. amazing. But it's just it's a good time. So if you have a chance, uh, check in your major city, probably the United States, but some in Europe. But the room, it's worth that's it's worth saying. That's crazy. Do you like Mystery Science Theater three thousand? Oh, I love Mystery Science. Is it kind of like that? You're like everyone's just like commenting and making fun of it while it's playing. Yes, but much funnier because everybody's drunk <laughs> most of the time. It's midnight on usually Saturday. <laughs> All right, Stacy, what do you have? I have two music picks. Uh, first one is Illumina by uh, Lamb. They've they haven't put out anything in quite some time, but they've been around forever since like the late nineties. Down tempo drum and bass uh, duo. Um, it's a really great song. Super excited to see new stuff from them. Uh, and then the second one is a, a new release by Burial uh, called Rodent. Um, he is very elusive and he hasn't p- put out anything new in a really long time. And uh, it's a really great track. Uh, but I also, because I just listened to that track, I started digging into him a little bit more and listening, uh, watching this mini documentary about how he produces some of his his music and he uses like like a soundforge pro to create some stuff which doesn't is not like what you would normally use when you're doing electronic music to like have crisp loops of you know drum tracks and stuff like that it's like <laughs> it's a very weird tool to pick and i think that's why his music's so interesting because it's not very formulaic or um uh, sterile it's got a lot of uh, idiosyncrasies to it and it's hard to remix there's like it was a very it was an interesting um, uh, mini documentary to watch. But anyway, new song is awesome, so check it out. Right on. I like the remix, too, by Code 9. Yeah. I, I think it's solid. Mars, what do you have? Uh, I have two picks. They are both kind of San Francisco-centric, and I think I chose this one in a previous episode, but it's more relevant than ever. One, because I'm working on the talk for this, and two, the talk is on Friday. Um, so in San Francisco, there's an HTML5 meetup that I, myself, and uh, co-worker Tony will be speaking at. So if you're in the area, we'd love to see you. Although this episode might not come out. I was just going to say, like, say that. <laughs> I realized, as I was saying, it was, it was nice to see you. It was there, nice to see you at the HTML5 videos? event. There's... There, yeah, it will be recorded and it'll, I'll tweet that later or something. Um, and the second is, uh, I think I picked this about a year ago. So it, it's, it's really fun. If you're in the Bay Area or San Francisco, the Dickens Fair, which is, um, 
Victorian London at Cow Palace, and it's really, really engrossing. Um, it's really interesting. They do a really good job with all of the costumes and the props. Got lots of fun drinks and, you know, period shops that you can go to. So if you're looking for something really super festive, I would highly recommend it. And one of my really good friends plays the queen. She's also a software engineer. So if you want to go support her, that would be fun. Has she not been on an episode too? Oh, yes. She's also been, yeah, she was uh, one of the panelists on the imposter syndrome episode, Jessica Grist. Right on. Yeah. Do you dress up for it more? Um, so the first year I went, I didn't. And I mean, it was still fun. Don't get me wrong. The second time I went dressed up and it was just way more fun. You people, you know, you're more of the community. They, the, the actors there, they're like, oh, you get it. You totally get it. And they're way nicer to you. But I mean, they're nice anyways. It's just a different level of camaraderie. I yeah. feel like people speak in a British. Does everyone speak in a British? Oh, they do. Yeah. I mean, all the actors and actresses do, but none of the visitors. Oh. Mars, Mars this year <laughs> Sorry, will be. This like... year I'll be, you know, full British. So... <laughs> Yeah. All right. I have two picks as well. One is the Obey Giant documentary. It's a really interesting story of Obey and the artist behind it, which is Shepard Fairey. It's a original Hulu documentary. I just really enjoyed it. I've always liked his work, but I found the documentary was really well done. So I definitely recommend checking that one out. It just came out like this week. And then since we're on some San Francisco picks, I uh, chose... A restaurant that I really like is one that Jem and Augustus and I have all been to recently, but is Southpaw. It's like a barbecue place and they have like the best beef brisket I've had. That I, I honestly think it's probably hands down one of the best that I've had. And they have really good cocktails there too. So I highly recommend that if you're in San Francisco or visiting, go check out Southpaw in the Mission. It's delicious. It's really good. I will attest to this too. Right on. <laughs> Before we end the episode, where can everyone get in touch with you, Augustus? Twitter, uh, at Augberto, A-U-G-B-U-R-T-O. Uh, send me an email, gem at netflix.com. That is opening it up. Bold. Wow. It might take me like a month to get back to you. I'm really <laughs> slow, but I will. Twitter's faster. <laughs> uh, Stacy Londoner and on Twitter. I'm at Mars Josephine on Twitter. I'm at Burgess D. Ryan on Twitter. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. Make sure to subscribe to Front End Happy Hour on whatever podcaster of choice you use and follow us on Twitter at Front End HH. Any last words? Conference. Conference. <laughs> we have no alcohol left. <laughs> <laughs> Empty.